Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles because, you know, we don't do baccalaureates anymore. I think we should. But I want to address Christopher and Sydney and Cadence and Maria as well. Not just them, but I want to address everybody because today I want to continue through First Peter. And as I was going through Peter, I recognized that the scripture that, that fell upon us today has perfect application to what these young men and women are going to be looking at in life. Everybody that graduates wants to have an impact on the world. You're starry-eyed and you believe that everything is going to fall your direction. I can just tell you, life may not always fall your direction. But you can finish well. You can finish well. And the most important thing is I want you to be able to have an impact, not just in the world, you know, by creating some inventions, but I want you to have an impact on the world for Christ. Can I get an amen for that? We want to impact the world for Christ. Now, there's two extremes of how people do that. Sometimes it's one extreme where it's we compel people or we or we co confront people or we coerce people where you're, you're giving them a track or you put some glitzy um, outreach you know, on or you do a crusade or you hold a tent revival, something crazy like that. I remember as I was uh, in high school, we would go up to Oklahoma State. There was a man, I think I've told you before, who had a megaphone. He would stand in the middle of campus with a megaphone. He, we called him Preacher Bob and he would yell to the top of his lungs, Get to know Jesus. You're all going to hell. Now, I can't tell you how effective that was. But he was trying to have an impact on the world. And then the other side of that is people want to have an impact on the world. So what they do is they, instead of being confrontational, they become completely non-confrontational. They become just a carbon copy of the world around them. And so they think, well, if I can... Uh, just look as much like everybody around me. If I can be like everybody around me, then maybe at some point they'll ask me if I if they can if I can tell them about Jesus, that I can just be cool and I can be one of the in crowd and I and they will and they'll just somehow get the idea that that uh, I'm impacting them for Jesus. Well, the question is: is if you look so much like the world, why would the world want to change to become anything like you? Because you're no different than they are. So it's hard to have an impact that way as well. And all of these have good merits because we all want to we all want to have an impact for Jesus in the world. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, "Let your light shine." So graduates, let your light shine. So that people may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the whole plan. Let your light shine. Show people who Jesus is by your life. And that's what Peter does today. We're going to look at. Is he gave the Christians the right approach. Your approach may not be handing out tracts. Your approach may not be like preacher Bob with a megaphone 
And your approach, hopefully, is not to look like the world so that maybe they'll just kind of get the idea that you're a Christian. Maybe, maybe Peter is going to give us some insight, and that's what he does. He gives us the right approach. How do you make the most impact? How do you have maximum impact in your life? He tells these Christians, this minority group of persecuted, suffering Christians, to shine their light brightly. And he says this, the most effective way to have an impact on the world around you is your life, my life, lived well. That's it. Live your life well. I don't want to sound like a graduation speech. But Peter tells us that when we live our life well, we can change the world around us. There's a man that I knew. His name was Henry, and he started coming to church. He was excited about knowing the Lord. And he told everybody that he was a Christian. He spread that around everywhere. The problem is, is that Henry kept getting thrown in jail for crimes that he did commit. And finally, I talked to Henry and I said, Henry, look, I said, either get your life together and allow God to truly change you and and use you or stop telling people you're a Christian because you're doing a whole lot of confusing people. Live your life well. Live your life well so that your light can shine and so that people don't have to even ask. They don't even have to question. They know who you are by how you live your life. And that will create opportunities for you to share the gospel and for you to pass out those tracks. Or maybe even to grab a megaphone if you feel so inclined. Live your life well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. I'm just going to read two scriptures this morning. Two verses. Peter says this in the New Living Translation. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Father, I pray that you would let your word challenge our hearts this morning. And over the next few moments, I pray that, God, that all of the plans, that not just these graduates, but these moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, Lord, all of those plans that we have made, let the most important plan be to live our life well, to live it for you. And then we will know what it's like to have an impact upon others, not just close, but those who are around us, watching us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence today. Now speak to us by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me take just a few moments, and I want to give you some advice that I would give to anyone who is graduating, any young person. And as a matter of fact, I'll give this advice to everybody that's here. There are four ways that you can have maximum impact in your life. Four principles that I've found in just these two verses as I looked at this today. And they, they are challenging enough 
and thought-provoking enough that I believe if you will take these four principles just from these two verses, that you'll be able to recognize that impact that you're having, not just in, it's having on your life, but on people around you. So the first thing you need to do is don't lose your ID. If you're a young person and you're heading out into the world, if you're one of these graduates, you're going to college, or, or if you're a college grad heading out in the world, or if you're a mom and dad, don't lose your ID. Always have your ID, because if you want to follow Jesus on the spiritual side, you have to have a life, if you want a life that's going to make an impact, make a difference on the world around you, you need to know who you are and who you are not. And the only way to do that is to know who you are, is have your identification according to what the Word of God says. Let me ask a question. Who did you say you were? What did she say your name was? Cadence Dillenberg. Can you prove that real quick? I don't have it with me, she says. Okay. Who'd you say you were? Sydney? Yeah. Can you prove that? Oh, you can? Okay. Let's take a look. Is this the same person? Your birthday. Got your address here. Height. Are your eyes blue? They're green. So who made the mistake? You or DPS? Of course. She proved who she is because she had her ID with her. But you didn't drive here, did you? Okay. The kid sitting next to her, yeah, he just got his license, and I have to remind him, hey, you got your ID, you got your license? Because you can't lose your ID. How do I know? Thanks, Sydney. How do I know? How can you prove to anybody who you are? What do we, what do, we do when, the, when we go to uh, register for something? Or what if the officer pulls you over how are what are you going to do well my mom my mom calls me aaron that's what my mom said my name was was aaron oh yeah well prove prove that prove who you are and so we carry our id that shows a picture of us and a little bit of a description about who we are because your id tells you who you are and it also tells you who you're not Sydney is not Cadence, and Cadence is not Sydney, and we know that because Sydney had her ID. Cadence, we are just going to have to take your word for it. Right here in, this, in these scriptures, Peter uses three words, three, three words that will identify who you are. He begins with these words to describe us. He, say, he calls us three things, friends, temporary residents, and foreigners. He starts with this little phrase, dear friends. Now that doesn't sound like much, but can I be honest? Dear friends is a huge statement. Dear friends is, a, is the word 
uh, agape toi, which means that it is the love that comes out from God. It's more than just, hey, you know, hey, buddy, hey, pal. Peter uses this eight times through his epistle, and it's translated as dear friends. Many translations in your Bible, if you're looking in your Bible, will say beloved. Not a common word that we use, beloved, but it is you are, you are someone who is loved. And Peter uses this word to identify that first and foremost, God loves you. Anytime I say that, I always think of Billy Graham. God loves you. 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 I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God loves you. It's good to hear that, isn't it? God loves you. And Peter is like coming to them before I have to write all of this letter, he says. I want to have this eye-to-eye conversation, and I want you to understand something. And he looks them straight in the eyes. He says, dear friends, God loves you. God loves you. He begins with that. And why do we need to know that? Why do we need to know that as part of our ID? Don't lose that because it gives us incentive to love him back because he loved us so much. That he gave his body. That he shed his blood. That when we, when we hear that God loves us, we want to say, I want to love you too. Then he uses the word temporary residence, which is translated sojourners. Not a word that we use very commonly, but here's what it means. It's translated this. To live alongside of. That makes no sense, does it? What, what? To live alongside, a sojourner, to live alongside of, to, to be a temporary resident, here's what it means. It means you live alongside of people who call this their home. You live alongside people who make this world their home. You're a temporary resident. It's not your home. This world is not your home. It's their home, but it's not your home. If you're a graduate, you're looking at the world as, hey, this is my place to capture. Just remember this in your identification that this is not your home. Even though you have the world in front of you, this is not your home. You live alongside of people who make this your home, but this is not your home. You're a temporary resident. And then he goes on and he calls you, he calls you foreigners. He says, you're just a pilgrim. You're a visitor. That you're not moving in. You're just passing through. You just stop by temporarily. You're not a local. You're not a local around here. When Shannon and I have been on vacation, sometimes we've, I've tried to act like a local, you know. I've tried to make my voice sound kind of like local, you know. Wherever we were, just try to make people think that I'm a local. I remember one time I tried to change my accent. I can't remember if it was English or Irish or something like that, you know, try to make them think that I was, you know, I was from around here or whatever. And the guy that was listening to me, I think it was a waiter, he was like, yeah, uh, this guy, you know, he's, he was talking about his stuff, and he says he had a pretty good knack of identifying people. As I gave him my Irish accent, he said, yeah, and hey, you're straight from Texas, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> my Texas was coming out in my Irish. You're not a local. 
And here's what's important about that. When you're not a local, you're like a square peg in a round hole. You're never going to completely fit in. Now listen to me. Graduates, listen. Moms and dads, listen. Young people, listen. Kids, listen. You're never going to always fit in. And can I give you the second part of that? It's okay. That's okay. As a matter of fact, Peter says you're a foreign, you're a visitor, you're a temporary resident. God loves you. You're loved by God and you don't belong to this world. You're a citizen of another kingdom. But see, the real danger comes when you lose your ID. Can you see how that works? When you lose your identification, when you lose your ID, you forget who you are and you start living like you are a perpetual citizen, like you're a local, like you belong here, like this is your home. How many of you have seen people do that? I have. They lost their ID. And they started living like today was the last day on earth. And so they're going to just live here and make it at home. And they're going to feel good about it. Friends, don't lose your ID because when you forget who you are, you're in trouble. Especially when you get invited to that party. Especially when that offer is made to you. And you can't remember that you're just a temporary resident here, that your life is not meant to live here forever, that there is another place that you're calling home. Don't lose your ID. Don't lose your ID because your ID is so important. It helps us in two ways, and I'm going to move on. But I just want to, I want to, I want to really thread the needle on this because it's so important. You've got to remember who you are and who you're not. It keeps your life in balance. You see, when you know who you are as a Christian, if you, are, if you are a follower of Jesus, it keeps your life in perfect balance because you realize what you're truly living for. You realize what you're truly working for. You realize what raising a family is for. Because the reality of the world is about to hit you. And all of you who are involved in the reality of the world, you know this, that you wake up on Monday morning and you go to work it's really easy for you to start doing that and get into a routine and you begin to think that the reason why you're going to work is so that you can live on this planet as long as you possibly can. And you lose perspective. And you realize raising these kids that may be driving you crazy right here on Family Worship Sunday, that you're trying to figure out, hey, I'm just raising my kids so I can just get them out and then I can have the house all to myself again. You forget But knowing who you are in Christ and knowing who you are helps balance your life and you remember why you do those things. It balances out what you're living for, what you're working for, why you're raising people, why you're raising your family. It's the reason why, it's the same principle, it's the reason why people who rent their house don't spend a whole lot of money and time trying to fix it up because it's not theirs. It's not theirs. It's like a person who carries a ladder around all their life and they, they, they work so hard to climb up the steps of the ladder and realize, as you've heard before, the ladder is leading against the wrong wall. You work so hard to get to the top of the ladder and then you realize when you get there, it's not what you wanted. It doesn't accomplish anything because it's leaning against the wrong wall. You see, our... our 
identification gives us balance. It gives us proper incentive because there's going to be times in your life when you're going to feel overlooked, you're going to feel underappreciated, you're going to feel dismissed by people. And there'll be moments when you will feel alone because you know who you are and you know who you're not and you've made a decision and you're going to stick by it and you feel alone because it seems like everybody else is going to just go that way and here you are standing alone. Friends, listen to me. When you know who you are and when you know who you're not and when, the, when your life and your message and what you stand for gets rejected, you are in good company. I'm reminded of a story that I heard years ago. It's a story of a missionary. His name was Samuel Morrison. He was a missionary to Africa. He served Africa his entire life. He buried family there. He spent his youngest, his, his most productive years of his life, he served and preached the gospel and cared for people in Africa all of his life. He gave his life for the continent of Africa. As he was coming home on retirement, he was set to retire, and he boarded a ship, he got on the ship, and it wasn't long till he realized that President Teddy Roosevelt was on the ship coming back from Africa at the same time. When the ship docked in the harbor of New York City, there were people talking about banners, balloons, bands were playing, and they were cheering and shouting President Teddy Roosevelt because he had been in Africa for three weeks on a hunting expedition. And they were celebrating the president and, 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 and singing songs and just praising him all to honor the president, Teddy Roosevelt. He's come back from Africa. He's been there for three weeks. And Samuel Morrison, as he walked off the gangplank, who had spent and left his life in Africa. Decades. No one cheered him. No one even yelled his name out. He says as he walked down the gangplank away from that boat with the crowd with their backs to him, shouting for the president, he asked the Lord, he said, God, I don't get it. He said, I've seen the president who's been in Africa for three weeks for killing a bunch of animals, and he comes home, and the whole world welcomes him home. Morrison said, but I've given my life to see souls saved and to preach eternal life, and I come home and nobody even notices. And then he said, as he also, as he exited the gangplank, he heard the Holy Spirit speak to his heart. He said, you're not home yet. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you're not. The second thing that I want you to just pay attention to is this. Once you keep your ID close, you need to learn, secondly, learn self-defense. My daughter, you know, I, I think she's got a little pepper spray or something like that that she keeps. Now, that's, that's probably not as potent as if she just went crazy on somebody and started messing with them. 
you have to learn self-defense. As you get out into the world on your own, you need to know how to take care of yourself. You need to know how to, number one, defend yourself. Look at verse 11. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, I warn you, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Knowing who you are and knowing what you're not will help you to know what to do when temptation comes. Because let me tell you, young people, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, the world is trying to buy you out. The world wants to buy you out. As a great philosopher once said, great country philosopher, you've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when to fold them. You've got to know when to, come on with me, walk away. And you've got to know when to... <laughs> Peter begins to address, he says, look, what, what you have to do is you've you got to start from the inside and work your way out. You have internal battles. Everybody in this room will have internal struggles in your life and in your mind. And if you're going to live a godly life on the outside, it has to begin with a godly life on the inside. Did you hear me? You cannot live a godly, righteous life on the outside until you first take care of the war that's going on inside of you. You will never be victorious. You will always be defeated. Your soul, my friend, if you know Jesus, you are saved, but you are incarcerated in this fleshly human body. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that temptation is common to everyone, which means that you're no exception to the rule and that you're no exception. And what you deal with is no exception to anybody in this world. Everybody has the war that's waging that's going on in their life. We all have impulses to do wrong. We all have desires from our flesh to do what is displeasing to God. As a matter of fact, even the babies in this church that are some completely innocent, that you think is perfect, even they, even they can show you this war. There was a study that was done years ago by a crime permission, uh, commission up in the north. And this is what they said as they talked about the evolution of people who develop into full-fledged criminals. Listen to what they said. Every baby starts out life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants, when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. And you deny him these wants and he sees and rages with aggressiveness which would be murderous were he not so helpless. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to give his impulses action to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. That's as true as it gets. A selfish child. Oh, they're so cute. 
Yeah, but you take that toy away and they'll scream like crazy. They bite, they pinch, they do all of those things. Why? Because it's about me. It's all about me and I want it now. Gotta have it. It's because we are incarcerated in this flesh that even drives small children. You can't deal with that until you come to that age of accountability where you recognize, I know right from wrong. I can't win, the fl- win over the flesh. I have to have the Spirit of God working within me. You see, that battle, that war is a spiritual war. It's the source of our impulses. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, the lusts of the sinful nature, the lusts of the flesh, which that word translates into be wars after. It, it engages in violent attack. They attack you inside. It wages against your spirit. And it happens in every one of you in this room, in every person, including the one standing on this pulpit. War is the means by which the, it's a military term. And the Romans, as Peter is reflecting over this, the Romans would, would surround, if they wanted to wage war against a group of people, they wouldn't just attack them. What they would do is the Romans would build a city around a city. The Romans would say, we want to take that city. And so what they would do is they would, produce a, they would produce a town around, they would build a town, they would completely encircle that city, and they would try to just, by, just atrophy, destroy that city by blocking everything that was going in and everything that was coming out. They seek to destroy that city. The truth is, is that's exactly how it happens in our life. Those internal desires and things, they surround us, they, they allure us, they are, they are those things that, that, like an army of terrorists, they surround your life so that they want you to make the decisions only you can do. That's, your, that's that body that, that, that wants to overtake you and enslave you into actions and sinfulness. Just listen to what these desires are, these fleshly lusts. Lust, I read it from Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. And you know right now you're saying, okay, okay, pastor, I get it. I'm not finished. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, And other sins like these, okay, okay, pastor, I understand, I got you. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me read it from a different translation. From the message translation, a little bit more of our vernacular, he says this, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives small-minded and lopsided pursuits 
the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I go on. This isn't the first time I've had to warn you, he says, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. That's as plain as it's going to get. The solution is found in verse 16 of that same chapter when he says you live a, live a spirit-led life. Live a spirit-filled life and you will abstain, which means you will win the war over your fleshly lusts. Learn self-defense. Self-defense begins inside. Learn, to, learn to, to hold off the enemy that's trying to consume you. Shut the gates. As John Bunyan writes in The Holy War, Shut the gates. If it's your eye gate, your ear gate, your mouth, shut the gates. Close the gates. Don't let the enemy in. Always be ready. Be prepared when the assault comes. Be ready. As Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, always be prepared. Put on the full armor of God. It's why our soldiers over in the Middle East where it's 135 degrees during the day, they've got their full fatigues on and a 60-pound backpack, and they've got their helmets on. Why? Because they don't know when the attack is coming, but they're ready, always ready, no matter what or how inconvenient it is. We always must be ready, friends. So you always must know self-defense. Don't lose your identity. Know who you are and who you're not. Be prepared to, to stand against temptation. And third, remember that you are being recorded. Look what he says in verse 12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Have you noticed that everything gets recorded nowadays? It's almost shameful because now I see things where people maybe get attacked, innocent people, they get attacked, and instead of someone in, intervening and helping to defend them, people pull out their camera and start taking video. I'm like, you should be as liable as the person that's committing the crime. Stand back and watch. That's ridiculous. Everything gets recorded, though. So what I'm saying is what's private will become public because you're getting recorded. So if you're going to show Jesus to the world around you, he says you've got to live your lives so that even when the ungodly people accuse you of doing wrong they'll look again and they'll see your deeds and they will glorify god on the day he visits you see unbelievers your unbelieving friends who aren't in church today they're watching you and they're recording your life and you know what they're hoping for to pick up a failure they're hoping to record a problem because they really want you to fail Unbelieving friends want you to fail. They want you to bite the dust. They want you to say you're a Christian and then see you absolutely just bomb. They want you not to succeed. It's no different than what they did to Jesus. Jesus was called an illegitimate child. He was called a glutton. He was called a drunkard. He was called a revolutionary, a tax evader. Paul was called a troublemaker. Early Christians, they were called cannibals because they ate the body and the, and the blood of Jesus Christ. They were called atheists because they didn't believe in all of the other gods of the Roman world. So let me tell you something. If you're called names for your faith, it's okay. But you are being recorded. And people are watching you. Peter's saying, live that life 
so that when you're even accused of anything, it won't stick. Unfortunately, in today's world, all it takes now is just an accusation. No proof is needed. It's guilty until proven innocent. That's a terrible justice system. Whatever some accusation comes, you're immediately just thrown out uh, on your feet. You lose your job or whatever without even a chance to defend yourself. My friends, the best way to defend yourself is let your life defend its own self. Live every day so that there is no way that even the accusation can come close to sticking. We as Christians, we're on a stage all the time. The bright light is always constantly shining upon us from unbelievers. And you are being recorded. So what are they going to see? What's the world seeing? Ruth Graham says this. A saint is a person who makes it easy to believe in Jesus. When people look at your life, it should be easy to believe in Jesus. That's the mission. That's the motto of our church. Everyone, everywhere, every reason to want to know Jesus. When they look at your life, do people want to know Jesus because of you? You're being recorded. Graduates, you're being recorded. The world's watching. And then finally, I kind of borrowed this phrase because my wife, has said this on numerous occasions to our kids. I just added a little bit. Sydney's smiling because she probably knows what this is. I added a little bit at the end, but it goes like this. Show up, show out, show off Jesus. Show up, Show out and show off Jesus. That's your life. That should be the point of your life. That's the ultimate goal for all of us, friends. Show up, show out, and show off Jesus. That is our purpose. That is our calling. Because he says on the day of visitation, when God visits, whether in judgment or blessing, when he shows up, I want you to know we should have done everything that we can to let people know that Jesus loves them jesus was talking peter was talking about the second coming of jesus it'll be a day of good news for some and it'll be a day of bad news for others because when you think about it how does a person that is observing us how are they going to glorify god the day that he comes back well i can tell you Either your life is going to be so appealing that you're going to push them right over the edge. They're going to say, I got to know him. I want to live for him. That's either going to be your life or in Philippians chapter 2, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'll just tell you, the first option is much better. Everyone is going to confess Christ at some point. The final time when they have to bow before him and they have not confessed Christ before won't be a redeeming confession. It will just be an admission that you were right all along. You have to show up and show out, show off Jesus every day of your life. So I say this to Christians, your life is built on your character Graduates, your life is built on your character. It's not your accomplishments, your degrees that you hang on your wall. It's not the job that you have or the house that you 
live in or the car you drive. It's your accomplishments in life are really is based down upon your character, who you are. Your character is built upon choices and decisions. It's like the bricks that build the house. Every choice, every decision that you make, whether it's large or small, shapes the house. It's like the sculptor's chisel that's chipping away. Every little thing that's done in your life, every decision that you make, shapes you to who you are. Whether you're 20 or whether you're 70, people are looking at you. They're looking at your life to see if they see God. If you don't know the Lord, I'll just tell you this. And if someone might happen to be watching online that doesn't know Jesus, in over 2,000 years since Jesus walked this planet, there has never been since him one perfect person. I hear a lot of people talk, not in the church, they don't know the Lord, they talk and they complain about hypocrites. And although I think that we need to thin out the ranks of hypocrites in the church, in the last days you're not going to sit before hypocrites to be judged. You're going to stand before one. So if you think, oh, these Christians, they just, they say it and they don't live it. We're all a work in progress. We're all doing our best. And there's more room for at least one more hypocrite in the church, I guess. My challenge to you is to make an impact in your world. Don't forget your identity. Don't forget who you are and who you're not. That's not you. Next time someone says, hey, let's go do this, let's go do that. That's not me. That's not me. It's not not who I am. Don't be ashamed of that. Learn self-defense. Fend off the attacks the devil wants to take you. He's buying for you. All of you. All of you. The enemy wants to take you out. Learn how to fight the battle inside. Because you're being recorded. People are watching you. My question is, is what are they seeing in you? Is your life, would you refute any question? If you were were thrown in jail and you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove you guilty? Then show out, show up, and show off Jesus everywhere you go. Let your light shine before men that he may be glorified in everything that you do. I want to bow our heads this morning as we close. If you want to respond today to this message, here's how I believe that you can do that. It's a challenge that you have to take up, just like when you walked across the stage of your graduation. It's a challenge you have to say, I want my life 
not to be known by this diploma or this job or whatever it might be as an adult. I want my life to be known by the one that I seek to glorify and honor. When people see me, I want them to see Jesus because remember, this world's not your home. And one of these days when you stand before the Lord, it won't matter what school you graduated from or what job you had or what kind of car you drove. All that's going to matter is what did you do with Jesus? So my question this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I want to take up that challenge. I want my life to have maximum impact on the world around me. And today... I just start all over again with a confession that I'm going to seek to let people see Jesus in me. I'm going to let my light shine. If that's you, you'd just like to respond to this message. Would you just raise your hand right now? You don't have to do anything else. Just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Yeah, all over the room. Yeah. That's it. We've got five people who want to make a maximum impact. Six, seven. Oh, good. Eight, nine. We're getting there. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word today. I pray that, God, that you would let it, Lord, seep into our hearts. Challenge us, Lord God, and may we become more like you. Bless us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.